<laughs> Welcome to Fermented Faith, the podcast where we talk about the everyday things of life and how the gospel impacts them and how it changes us. And so today we're going to talk about foster care. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. We're recording this at the end of May. And uh, I promise, don't don't tune us out. We're, we're going to really try to make this podcast uh, about everybody and, and what everybody should know about foster care. So if you're thinking... I've listened to that. I've heard that's not my thing. Please just hang in here with us. We're going to try to really talk about uh, not just those that are called to fostering, but but really what everybody in the community, and particularly in God's community, should know about foster care. We're going to try to do that from our personal experience. So uh, I am here with uh, some special guests. I have my my lovely wife here with me, uh, Riley, and then we have Jason and Allison Cook. Welcome, guys. Thanks. This is y'all's first time on the podcast, right? Yes. Yes. But not, but, avid listener, but that's about the extent of it. But not your first time on a microphone, right, Jason? <laughs> no. You're, you're, yeah. Uh, veteran DJ with the with the radio voice. I've, I've never done any actual radio, <clears throat> but I've done a lot of uh, wedding DJing. <laughs> it comes out when he's in front of a microphone. <laughs> I like it. Or I'm entertaining the kids. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it's just about having a good time. It's like dancing, right? So. You gotta dance. You gotta have a good time. You could dance like Elaine from Seinfeld. I'm dating myself there, but you can still have a good time. I, yeah, I can't dance. My <laughs> wife is affirming that. I'm really shaking her head and agreeing. <laughs> all right, guys. So you, uh, you all have been fostering for how long? Since March of 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that? Six, seven years. Seven and a half years. Yeah. All right, so I want to hear a little bit of your uh, how that came about and how you got there. But I think before um, before we do, I just want to like, you know, we're, we're going to try to address just a lot of the the myths and, and common questions and that sort of thing. And I know there was a lot that we didn't know prior to getting into foster care. Um, a part of learning that was what you know brought us into you know caused us to step into it. And so, but as as we think about you know, the, the, the thing we say on the podcast is the everyday things of life. And for a lot of people, this is not an everyday thing. They don't think about it. But for our community, for our world, and, and what I believe is for the church, it should be an everyday thing because it, mm-hmm. it is so common. Yeah. The, the need, and that's one of the things I didn't know It was getting into this. I didn't know that the need was so great. I didn't know yeah. there were so many kids that needed homes. I didn't know there was such a lack of that. And so uh, that's part of what... Um, you know, I learned that compelled us to step in uh, sooner rather than later. And so it, it is something that is um, a huge issue for our communities. Um, just the system is, is overwhelmed. And that's not just like a, sure. a thing, yeah. a throwaway line. Like it really is. And there's not enough homes. And so being on this side of it and receiving the calls, it, it really is. It, it's something that, and, you know, I've got a, we've got a, a relative that's in, you know, in the, in the world of child psychology and, and worked in community centers. And, and, you know, and he says often like the government and, and really even those sort of centers, they're not meant to do this. They're not set up to do this. It's going to fail. This is something that, that he would say that the community needs to be involved in, right? That this is only going to work. Uh, we only bring health and healing to these, these issues whenever the community is involved. And, and for us, you know, that, that is even more compelling and, and even more of a, a call at the heart of, of who we are as God's community, as God's people. And so um, I, I do think for those reasons, it's something that, you know, not everybody is, is called to foster, 
what everybody's called, if you're, if you're one of God's family, to, to do something and, to, and to, to be involved. That could be as simple as praying. That could be joining some volunteer teams that support. But we sort of talk, we, we use the, the line from, from John Piper talking about global missions that, you know, everybody's either called to go, right, uh, or to send. And, and really, that's your only two. The other option is to disobey, right? Yeah. To either go, be a part of the, you know, be some of that go, or be a part of the sending, or to disobey. And, and I think that's similar for, for caring for the vulnerable people. God makes it really clear that true religion is caring for widows and orphans. And, you know, he talks about, you know, his people in Isaiah. And I promise I'm not going to preach. I'm, a, I'm just trying to set up a little bit of why this is an everyday thing. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for God's people to, to come to church regularly, for, to claim to be God's people, but to be stepping over the, the broken and the hurting on their way it is disgusting to God. And, and, and I say it tells them to stop it if they're not going to actually repent and be involved <clears throat> and, and bring justice and, and uh, care to those people that are broken than to stop singing songs, stop offering offerings. And so it is something that God's people should be involved in. It, the, the question is really how. How do we how do we help and and he's going to call many of our families to open their homes but others there's there's other ways too so hopefully we'll answer some of those questions and yeah. and uh, and people can have a little bit better idea of, of what uh, what the needs are what it what it might look like to get involved so um, yeah why don't you guys just start our our stories are a little bit different uh, of how we got in and you guys yeah. when we got called there was no like there was nobody in the church and God had brought you all in. So it's kind of cool because we were like feeling this call. We didn't know anything about it. And then God had just brought you guys here and you'd been yeah. fostering you, for you a while. You guys had just started so. the licensing process when we came here, I think, or yeah. we're about to. Yeah. So it was a, it was a cool yeah. thing. God bringing y'all here to, to sort because we were involved with ministry, you know, restore network now and stuff. And so you guys were an asset because we didn't know what we were doing. We felt called. We were willing. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. So yeah. how'd you guys get into it? What's your story? We probably, I mean, initially started looking into this for probably some of the wrong reasons we'd been dealing with infertility um since we got married and like had gone through all of that and had toyed with adoption toyed with all the different things that people think about when they're dealing with that and I'll never forget we were driving to meet um some friends at a restaurant for dinner and he was like so I've been listening to the radio on the way to work he was he was driving 45 minutes to work at the time and every morning for several days there'd been ads on there was it from focus on the family or some somebody the need for foster parents. And so I called DCFS and I was like, you what? <laughs> so that was how it started for us was just, okay, we'll try this. We'll see. And I can, I'll remember forever. My mom saying, I just kind of feel like maybe you're going at parenting the hard way. And I remember saying to her, like, can you tell me an easy way? Like <laughs> we've dealt with the infertility. We know people who've, you know, had, you know, stillbirths and miscarriages and failed in vitros and, and, spent thousands of dollars on an adoption. Like there's, there's plenty of hard ways to go into parenting. I just feel like maybe this is what we're supposed to do now on the backside of it. I think like we've really been able to experience and grasp like what I think the heart of how restore would approach recruiting families into foster care and like the gospel behind all of it. But that wasn't really how we initially looked into it. I don't think. It's interesting. Like you're gonna do. That's not how you remember it. We're gonna do marriage counseling right here. Marriage counseling here on the two of us because I came into it kicking and screaming. I mean, that's part of my story. And and you were the one that made the phone call. She's wanted to be. Yeah, but you've been wanting to be a foster parent like from day one, from the day I've met you. 
I knew that that would probably eventually be part of her story. I didn't think that was how it would be become parents. Well, maybe because not. Because I'm a teacher, and so I saw the need. I saw the kids that were in the hurting homes, and I, I did think you're right. I did think eventually it would be part of how our family functioned. But I didn't. Think All I saw was orphanage was when you. I mean, He's it was like, we're gonna have 25 like, kids. Like this, no vacancy except it was vacancy all the time. Like sign that you see on this like crappy hotel. Can I say crappy? Well, I just did. Anyway, this hotel, and I. I like. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what it is. Now, the part of the story that does align with that is <clears throat> the shift came. One of the biggest reasons was God just softened my heart, yeah. and through the fact that we were in, infertile, um, and so. But I never, even then, like you had to do these silly pride classes, and I don't know if you still you have to call do them that or silly. not. Sorry. <laughs> well, it was to me, and I go in and I'm like, man, it's a bunch of propaganda, and they're telling me like how like. All these parents are just, they really made a mistake. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They don't take your kids away from you for stubbing their toe. I mean, like, these are jacked up people. And again, through a series of events, God just really worked on me. And I realized that it's not, and it's it's that perception, right? It's that whole, I didn't know what reality was. Just like you did not know that there was this massive need right in your own backyard. Yeah, And it's the same kind of thing, and God used that. To really kind of shape and mold and understand through the course of that just because you lost your kid does not mean you're a, you're not a person. You're not a soul. You're not somebody that still needs a savior or still needs that doesn't want their kids. Maybe there's a, a, a story behind it. Maybe there's a reason behind it. Or maybe that's it's, it's whatever that looks like. Drugs, lifestyle, mm-hmm. whatever you're stuck in. But from the aspect of that's still a person. It's just like one of my kids, when I've always made it a point, I don't care how bad their parent is, they can have a needle stuck in their arm on the side of the curb. I, I try not to badmouth the parent with the children because that's still their parent. It's still their mom. And, and as warped and as twisted as it is, it's still their So, So blood. what changed that perspective for you? What began that shift? I think, the, I, think I just began to pray. I really do think that God just started to soften. I mean, infertil- infertility had a lot to do with it because we wanted kids, and, and I, I wasn't getting any younger. Um, and the what about the bio parents? Like, what did that? Oh, what, that piece. What shifted that for you? Because that's, that, I mean, yeah, it's it's one thing to think about the kids, and that's right. a, that's a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. But there's also it's it's easier to sort people of people on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, but. But that's a whole other deal that I think a lot of people would have questions and re- reservations for sure about dealing with, with yeah. biological parents. Well, and the, the whole thing is really geared because you don't get a lot of information. Just like we had a we had a couple of boys that came to us, and literally all we knew at the time, or at least all that I knew at the time, was that they were locked in a closet when the police showed up. Um, and so immediately your mind starts to play out this horrible like storyline and narrative of what happens and how do you get to a point where you're so jacked up that you lock your kids in the, in the closet um, and leave. And so you have to humanize that, that other point. It can't just be this point in the distance that is like, hey, it's them, it's them, it's they. you got to put a face to it. And I guess that's probably one of the biggest... There's some other stuff that came on earlier, but one of the biggest changes is when I met the boys' bios. And I was at that ACR, which is <clears throat> administrative case review, where the agencies come together. I don't even know if you guys do these, because you're straight through DCFS and we're with a private agency. Okay, so anyway, they're making sure all the parts are going through and moving through. 
And normally we're, we're sitting here and I come in and, and I'm asked about the care and then I'm excused because I don't really need to know from the aspect of privacy of what's going on with the bio parents. They just, I'm there to take care of the, the babies, the kids. And the bios asked me to stay, mom and dad. And you really hear this story of a 30-year drug vet who has become repentant and has a heart and has, I mean, we've all met people, right, that the lights are on and nobody's home, but you see somebody who wants their kids and is really kind of trying to clean up their act, and more importantly, to my faith, has professed faith in Christ. And I left there with tears in my eyes that day, and I went home and told my wife, and I said, man, if the gospel's not big enough to impact their life, what in the world am I doing from day one? They're not going to raise their kids the way that I'm going to raise them. And we literally, I, I became one of their biggest advocates. I mean, we invited them to, into our family, just like your story you were talking about last week at church. I mean, they came to soccer practice and all this stuff, and it literally became this epiphany, if you will, of, yeah, I'm going to champion you, and if you want your kids... I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. So I don't know if that's what you were asking or not, but that's what I got. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's... I think for me it had changed even before that because coming into it, having seen the teacher side of things and having seen the hurting kids but not necessarily always knowing the story that the parents were dealing with, our second placement was um, a little girl that was... return. You know, everybody starts with return home goal, but like... There are cases where it's very evident that the parents are already on it. They're doing everything they're supposed to do to get them back. And, and then there's situations where that's not the case. And this little girl's mom, you know, was on it. She was, you know, making every visit and doing what she was supposed to do. And then near the end, because the little girl was with us for, like, not quite nine months. And she was young. She was little when she came to us. And so a lot had changed in her little world. Like, her, you know, she'd gone from bottles to real food and and all kinds of stuff had changed. Her sleep patterns had changed and everything. And mom asked the caseworker if I would sit down and talk to her before her return home stuff started. Um, we hadn't really had much of a relationship before that. I had told the caseworker we were open to that, like in theory, but we hadn't right. experienced that sure. yet. Our first placement has ended in adoption and she's ours forever. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But so we hadn't had a relationship with a birth parent before and when she asked if I would meet with her and I brought, you know, both girls, her little girl and, and the one that we've now adopted and sat there and talked to her about her preferences and all this. And, and she asked, you know, really good questions. And like, you could tell, like, this is a, this is a person who knows they messed up and they've done everything that's been asked of them and they want their little, their girl back. And so that, I, that was early in the process for us. The story he's talking about was several years later. Um, but how, how many kids have y'all had in your home? How many placements? Including like one respite for a long weekend. We've had 13 kids in and out of our home in, in uh, not quite eight years or a little, little over eight years. The crazy part of that <laughs> is that growing up, I used to tell like my friends and stuff that I wanted 10 kids. <laughs> like, you told me that when we were dating, like two or three weeks in, I was like, you're crazy. And, and several <laughs> friends that said, don't lead out with that. Like, you're never going to find a woman that will Bert, remotely even Bert take a second kids. date with you, let alone marry you. And it's like, yeah. But no, you, you think about that, and the older that you get, it's like, okay, that that just maybe that wasn't part of it. And then, because I got married late. I mean, I was 35, 36 when I met you. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny that God put that desire in me, and now I've had 13 kids. 
Um, and so it didn't look at all like I thought it was going to look yeah. like. It didn't come, and it, and it doesn't say. When people say. do the math on that, they're, they're like, at yeah, once? No, right. And I'm like, no. Like, You're a liar. The, the most we've had at once is four. Um, but a lot Which of, is what you have right now, right? We have four right now. We've had four briefly a couple of times. Um, as like we knew one placement was ending, we would go ahead and say right. yes to another one. Um, and so, But until these kiddos that have been with us for several years now, the longest placements had been nine months other than Stormy that we adopted um, early on. And She's so, changed a lot of diapers. <laughs> we have changed a lot of diapers, yeah. Target brand, in case anybody wants to know, doesn't leak very badly. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> We've been through them in all the sizes for all the kids. So you've had 13 in your home. You've adopted one, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And and you've had the other three now for – the three that are with you now. They've been the, there for a long time, three yeah. Years, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but a lot of them have come in as sibling pairs. And so, like, when people sit and do the math on it, they're like, have you had that many for – that fast of you know an eight sure. year 13 kids in eight years but a lot of them have come in pairs of two and because it, sometimes it's hard to play sibling groups and that's something we've always wanted to do what we can to keep siblings together um but most of the placements have been like six to nine months like they're they're in and they're out and their parents are doing what they're supposed to do and so well let's talk about that then like like that just sort of provides some context for like what fostering is mm-hmm. uh, because i think there's a lot of misconceptions about that right like i think well, yeah. and that's one of the reasons that a lot of people give for not fostering. It's yeah. because they think that they would never, they would get too <laughs> attached and they would never be able to give them back. I've always wanted to be snarky to somebody, <laughs> but I don't have it in me and be like, I don't get attached. I'm just really heartless. And you know, maybe you can't <laughs> respond to somebody that way. Because <laughs> they're, I mean, they're genuinely saying, I would just get too attached. But I think that, um, these kids deserve that. Like, so you're supposed to. You're supposed to, like, you, if you would get too attached, then you're doing it right. You're providing them what they need in the scariest time of their life. They're, I mean, they've just been yanked from everything they know. Whether it's whether they knew it was a bad situation or not, because sometimes they don't get that. Like all right. they know is they've left everything they know, whether it was good or bad, whether they liked it or didn't, whether they felt safe there or not. It's all they ever knew, and so they need somebody who's going to invest them in, and get attached. And I just have always felt like when people say that. They mean well. They they mean to say, oh, this is so hard. Like, how could you be able to do that? Like, you're so strong. It's not that. Like, I think that's what they mean by it. But mm-hmm. it's just that we know that, you know, we have we have Christ in us. We're adults. <laughs> and these kids need that. Somebody has to do it for them and be attached and give them what they need. And so, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> and what we also know about, like, brain development is that, you know, children um, children thrive when they have healthy attachment. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are coming from homes where they don't have that. And so yeah. being able to give that to them and teach them to attach is actually giving them a gift yeah. to help them heal. heal and grow and develop. And then you can help them attach to their parents in a healthy way. Yeah. And the follow-up question I always get from people to that is, well, I just couldn't do that to my own kids. Maybe I could handle it, but I couldn't do it to my own kids. And we haven't had any bio kids in our home, but Stormy's been there from the get-go. She was our first placement. She was barely a year old when she came to us. So, like, she doesn't remember anything before us. And, and she's, she's how old now? She'll be nine. And, yeah. Well, she's eight, eight and a half. She'll be so nine. She's nine seen nine those other so she's seen those other 12 kids. all the other yeah. 12 kids. She, we have pictures of them hanging up our stairwell to our bonus room, and, like, she knows them by name. And even the, even the kiddo that was with us for four days, like, she remembers his name. She remembers going to eat... Middle Eastern food in Carbondale with him because it reminded him of home. Like, <laughs> she, hmm. 
she remembers all these things. And I'll never forget when the second placement went home that had only been with us for like not quite nine months. And, and Stormy was little at the time, too. I mean, she was like maybe two at the time. She patted my face and wiped my tears and said, it'd be okay, mommy. It'd be okay. You know, like she, from the young age, got it. And another placement that came was a three-year-old little boy, and we loaded up in the car. This was before Restore would, like, help us get diapers and stuff when things would roll in a new placement. And so we were loading up in the car to go to Target and get diapers, and she's helping get him in his car seat. And she's like, and you can call my mommy, mommy, and you can call my daddy, daddy, but you can't call my nan, nan. She's my nan. (laughs) You know, like, she was just giving him the, you know, welcome mat. And she, I think that, people underestimate what their kids are willing to do and capable of doing. And I think our church has seen your kids do that too, you know, like, cause you've had bios before you started fostering and they're awesome with your foster kiddos and, and you're now adopted kiddo. Like they just part of the family and just welcome them in. And that's, this is just what we do, you know? And yes, it's hard. And yes, you may see them go home, but she can articulate that she wouldn't want our kids who have gotten to go back to their birth families to not get to have that because she mm. wouldn't want to not be with us. Like yeah. she gets that. And I think it makes her stronger. So that's, um, yeah. So every, so that's something, you know, people maybe aren't clear on, or they, and, I, and I don't know that, that I was a ton is that, you know, foster care is 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 not about taking the kids out of a bad situation and hiding them from their parents. No, it's not witness protection. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, we laugh about that, but that's yeah. kind of a, a common, you know, view yeah. of, of, of it. Um, Several of our birth moms have had my phone number, and we've... So every case, almost every case starts with the goal of return home. Like I don't know of any that don't initially begin with that right. as the goal on the court documents. Right. There would be some extenuating circumstances of other yeah. other kids, perhaps. Or if maybe they've been in multiple if homes throughout the by case. The time, yeah, but by the time, the time they, they get, get to, to you, you, they may have a goal sure. change already. Yeah. To termination or adoption. Yeah. 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 So foster care, it, it, this is not, it's different than adoption. It's it's not an orphanage because these yeah. kids do have parents. And, and the goal of the, the government agency is to provide those parents and the goal of the foster care system is to provide those parents an opportunity to uh, remedy whatever issue right. was there yeah. right which is most commonly neglected right babe that's the isn't that the, the most leading common. cause yeah. in our area it's probably drug drugs I mean, it's, it's meth almost tons of meth yeah, and opioids lots lots of, of drugs so a baby's born uh, and they find, you know, drugs in, in that, that baby system. That baby and then maybe there's big brother, big sister at home, and yeah. so all of them are removed. Yeah. yeah. So when those things happen, the goal of, of the system, you know, in quotes, mm-hmm. is to uh, provide those parents an opportunity to fix whatever is endangering those kids so mm-hmm. that they can. So, so that's what we And not just an opportunity, parents, but the, the tools to do it. Like right, the, the caseworker that is contacting us and helping us do whatever we need, need to for the kids is also at the same time, like they have a big job. It's it's not a joke when people talk about how overworked they are. They're also working with the birth parents to hook them up with whatever counseling they need to hook up with or, you know, housing advocates, like their job advocates. Like there's so many layers to what is available when the birth parents are willing yeah. to access that and, and get it done. It's there. You know, good, bad, or ugly, because that's, that's actually one of the things I want to talk about was the, the system and, and the perception of that system. 
every judge I've ever sat in front of, and you guys can obviously weigh in different because you've all sat in front of judges through this process, has pretty much said the same thing to a bio. <clears throat> I want nothing more than to give your kids back, and this is how you do it. Mm. But don't come back into my courtroom with excuses and halfway done and seven-eighths. These are your kids. And that was another shift that happened for me was that when you see a situation that <clears throat> you end up, your brain immediately, immediately goes to a logical response. But it's not logical to lose your children. Again, I, I make the statement that I said earlier, don't take your kids away from you for stubbing their toe. Right. Right. So it's if if I had, I mean, if you could only see your kids for an hour a week, you would move. You would miss a sermon to make sure you see your kids there. I mean, it's the, that's a logical response, yeah. and you're dealing with an illogical scenario for whatever reason. Like we talked about drugs in a, sec, a second ago, that has created this scenario, this world, this lifestyle that it's not. You know, I, I spent some time. She normally does a lot of the court stuff, and, and I went to court last fall with one of our kids. And I don't know if I should talk about this on podcast or not, but whatever. He, he was can accidentally edit. seated with I wasn't the supposed to be in there, and the but whole time. It was like going to be a bigger disruption to stand up and leave. It's like. in the middle of COVID. <laughs> so. And so I came in and knew a couple of the players in the room. And so I just went and sit down in the back. I mean, I'm dressed up, I'm coming from work. And so the caseworker's late. She comes in right, kind of looks at me and whatever. About 30 minutes into this, I realized that they're going out and getting all these people. So for those of you who don't know, most juvenile court, at least when I've been in, you're on a docket. We can say that. <laughs> and like you don't know where you're at. I mean, it's like you right. just you may be first or you may be 80th. You show up at 9 o'clock or That's 1 right. o'clock. <laughs> and you just see with if they get to else. you. Yeah. That's yeah. right. You got other... It's a cattle call and you wait. Yeah, and you're in there with other... Yeah. yeah, you're in there with other... Uh, <laughs> Unless you're on Zoom court and then you sit and wait parents. at home yes. in a <laughs> Zoom waiting room. They may or may not let you in. Yeah. yeah. You're in there with other foster parents, the bio parents, caseworkers, attorneys, they're all... Guardian of the light. Uh, oh, Stormy's bio usually, mom. Usually in strange hallways or waiting rooms or... Yeah, you're just yeah. all together. Yeah. I remember, and I'm all over the place, squirrel, but I, when we were in court with Stormy's bio, I was the first time I met her. And I, I remember talking to you specifically, this is our eldest, when we left, I was like, what has she got to think? Because it was in the courthouse, like literally 100, excuse me, 150 feet from where I worked. <coughs> and so I knew all the players, <coughs> all these attorneys, the circuit clerk, all these people were coming in. You worked at the bank hey, across Jason, the street. How you doing? So you hey, Jason. Them. How you doing? Hey, Jason. How you doing? And I'm like, I would think the whole world stacked against me if I were there. And it really, again, I think that was a piece that kind of starts shaping and God uses to work on your heart. Because that's re- it's very easy to get jaded in this. It's very easy to read those documents that says what's happened to these kids yeah. and what they've had to endure and what they've seen and what they've had to come and... and if you feed on that, if you if you if that's what you ingest and that's what you let fill up your soul, that's going to shape your view of the system. It's going to shape your view of like your last question: Is it responsibility of the church or is it social justice? Because this is what I'm feeding myself, and in turn, I think the power comes from the scripture and what we—I mean, our faith—and understanding of what you said is the main reason why I did this. It's directly out of scripture. It's a commandment to take care of the fatherless. And if you flip that and turn that, my wife shared a something really, really ignorant and simple with me just this week that slapped me in the nose. Um, and I don't even know if I can find it. But a two-year-old is going to act like a two-year-old. The question is, how, are you, how old are you going to act 
She sent that directly to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I put with it, ouch, like because it gets me. But I don't know where you got, how you got to that from. Well, I mean, I just I think it's it's this perspective being that gentle we, to the bio parents, like understanding that they're they're people too, and we all have sinned well, and fallen short. Think, of the okay, Lord, here's the like, other one you sent to me. Think of your child and switch this to bio. But thinking of your child as behaving badly disposes you to think of punishment. Thinking of your child as struggling to handle something difficult encourages you to help them through their distress. Hmm. So change that from child to bio. Hmm. If I think of it how all you've done is put a kid in a closet, then all I want to do is smack you around and knock you in the face. Right. But if I think of it about, man, I really can't get out of this hole, this stronghold, this death, this sin, whatever, label it with whatever you want. Yeah. It thinks me and makes me say, okay, there's a bigger issue going on here. There's a bigger force at work. There's a bigger thing at play. Most of these parents want their kids. Yeah. They just don't know how to articulate. Just like my two-year-old right now. He doesn't have enough words. So everything comes out as scream. He needs more words like yesterday. And <laughs> He's getting them. <laughs> he's getting them. He's gaining them. It's not fast enough. <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing, I think, that if, if we can... You guys showed that a video again Sunday, and I know we're on a podcast and they can't see it, but... It, it speaks so much to the power of the gospel and the community and the messy. And what we do is messy. It's messy. You got to get in lives. It's just like anything in aspect of ministry. It's messy. If you're going to get into the mud, you're going to get some dirt. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a little bit more kind of how we got into this because um, you know, we had our three biological daughters. Um, we knew at some point that we would have other, you know, kids in our home that weren't ours biologically, but we were sort of planning on doing that later. Um, we are kind of had a heart for the older kids, but we didn't want to do that till our kids were, you know, didn't want to break birth order. So we were just kind of on hold. Uh, but when I came on, when I stepped into the lead pastor role here in, in 2016, I was, I felt really compelled to figure out, okay, what? how do we reach the broken and the lost in our area? I, I, there's a lot of churches, and a lot of churches doing good services and that sort of thing, but how do we actually push back the darkness and, and impact the people and, and connect with those broken people? So we just began to talk to, like, school officials and people in our community. And um, and, and it was it was the broken families and struggling kids, and it was that. That was a theme. Still weren't sure what to do about it. But anyway, uh, a lady in our church, many Many of our people have heard the story, but some some might be listening that haven't. But, um, you know, basically she'd done CASA, uh, which is a court-appointed special app. That's another thing people don't know about. There's a whole, like the yeah. military has their own, like, abbreviation and lingo. So yes. foster care. Like there's <laughs> ACR and TPR. Like there's all these uh, yes. abbreviations. So she was a court-appointed special advocate, and she'd been doing that for years as ministry. And basically it, it, she showed me this. She brought this need of, of man, there's, there's not enough homes. And she talked about... You know, kids being um, brought into care um, or, or taken out of their home and um, it, needing a place to go, and, and they're just being no place. And th- uh, one time she had a caseworker look at her and said, is there anyone in your church that could take these kids? And she had, and she had to say no. Uh, and this is it like a week before Christmas. There's five of these kids, 8.30 at night or later. They're at a DCFS office. They've just been removed from their home. And DCFS workers in there calling everybody on the list trying to find a place for them, and, and there's nowhere. 
And so that led her later to, to bring that to my office and just say, I don't know what we do about this, but anyway, so we began to explore. Th- that's what I, I knew foster care existed. I knew that foster parents existed and I knew there was Kate, but I just didn't know there was that much of a need. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to step in as a church and then also to go ahead and step in as a family. And for us, it wasn't about growing our family. It, it was, it was about just being obedient and doing ministry. And, and that, I think allowed us to come in with a perspective that was healthier uh, that allowed us to sort of, and to restore credit, it helped shape us about bio parents, mm-hmm. about there being a ministry opportunity there. Not with every case, but with a lot of them, yeah. there being ministry opportunity there. So again, this is, we say restore people from our church know what that is. There's very likely possibility people will be listening to this that don't know what that is. So babe, yeah, Riley. you're, you're say, the county director. Why don't you, you're up. This is. just give us a quick, uh, <laughs> Well, I started to say, you said, you know, after that, we were, we were, uh, we were all in as, as a church to get involved. We're all in as, you know, as foster parents personally, but then, you know, with that, I serve as the county director for the Restore Network and Jordan's on the board. And then we also are, uh, monthly givers to restore. And so when we say we're all, we were all in, we were, we were all in yeah. on this. And, and Lord really gripped our hearts. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I am the Williamson County director for the restore network and the restore network is a, um, nonprofit organization that works to equip and, uh, recruit and equip and, um, support foster families um, from within the church, primarily. Primary, we do primary, most of our recruiting. That's recruiting yeah. Yes, from the church. Um, but if if somebody's already fostering, they can join. Um, you know, they don't have to be a part of yeah, a right. church to join the Restore Network. Mm-hmm. So that's what restores. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I didn't know you were done. You I mean, I done could it? talk about it for a few more hours, but I don't think we have that kind of time. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's just helpful for context. In yeah. case somebody, we, we've referenced it like 15 times already, so yeah. uh, if somebody doesn't know. But it, it's a huge – so that was for, – they were formative. We, we were part of them from the beginning. They helped shape our view of that, so we came into it. And eager. we had fostered for four or five years before we came here to the journey and ended up being part of the launch of the Restored Network here at the journey, and it's been a game changer for us to – Yeah. So we're like, oh, you've done this before. Please help us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't even know that we've helped that much. But just like knowing that there's other people doing this who are like-minded and and don't think that, you know. You know, I think that's one of the things that in more aspects of just about every ministry is that for whatever reason, people think that they're all alone about it. And I think that's one of the, <clears throat> the lies that the enemy uses is that there are people out there that are right where you're at. There are people out li- they're going to listen to this podcast, hopefully, <clears throat> that are considering to foster. They just haven't told anybody yet, mm-hmm. and and I think that's that's the first step is to have that dialogue. Is is you know I joke around when when I was recruiting for one on ones and fostering, and I still say this when I tell somebody I said we promise not to give you a kid when you leave. Right, we could, <laughs> we could. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. But just come on, yeah. Le- learn about it, and I think. I think that's it is that you just need to be, you need to listen because if Christ's inside of you, fostering's inside of you. I mean, if or you're at least a poor, yeah. I mean, I, I, well, and that's what I mean. I mean, it's because it's it, in my mind. And again, I, I understand I'm extremely biased, 
But it's the heart of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does. It says he's the father to the fatherless. He places the, you know, the orphan in a home. And yeah. there's a lot of scriptures. The one that haunts me perhaps the most is Matthew 25, where he says, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that get to heaven and claim to be Christians or get to judgment and claim mm-hmm. to be Christians. And he's going to say, depart from me. And one of the things is there, there was no, there was no fruit, right? Basically it's my summation. It's like, yeah. Hey, I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was, you know, I was homeless. You didn't, yeah, I was in prison. You didn't come visit me. I was sick. You didn't eat. And they're like, when, you know, we didn't, we didn't see you, Lord. We didn't see you sick and home and homeless and thirsty. And every time you saw one of the least of these, Mm -hmm. you you said no to me. When I think of those kids being brought out, I mean, just the picture of a kid being taken from their home with a little bit of stuff, Mm -hmm. usually in a trash bag. Usually in a garbage bag or a Walmart sack. Yeah. And then going and sitting in a DCFS office and waiting. Mm-hmm. And those caseworkers making call after call and call after call after call after call after call. Like, that's Matthew 25. Right. Like, the church will be judged for yeah. where were you, church? When these kids needed you, where were you? Um, and that's what gripped me and, and just wrecked me. And so, uh, yeah, part of the Restore Training defines it this way. Foster parenting is a ministry of reconciliation at no fault of their own. Children are removed from their homes because of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. They are placed in foster care to ensure their safety while their parents receive the help and support that they need. These children need families who are willing to love them for a season and reconcile them safely home to their families. When family restoration is not possible, adoptive families are needed to love them for a lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Well, and that's another thing I think is a misconception about kids that are in care um, in the foster care system is that people have this idea that these are, these are, troubled, these are trouble kids. These are, you know, these are kids that... Um, make them at you with a knife in the middle of the night, or you know, which you know, they might. Yeah, sometimes they might. You know, <laughs> but so could somebody's birth kid. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. You so don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sure so it. Um, but I think I think what has been eye opening for a lot of people that have um been around us as we've done this, and I'm sure you probably experienced this too, is they almost have this like this aha of like. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, these are just like kids, like kids. Yeah. And yes, you know? some of them have been through like huge traumas. And yes, some of them are going to have behaviors. But a, a lot of times you go out in public and I'll never forget. I We had taken a new placement because we knew our little girl, the second placement was headed home. So she was African-American. And then the new placement was two little boys that were one was the same exact age as as stormy and the other was the same exact age as the little girl that was headed home the boys were blonde hair blue eye like none of them looked alike and they're all just sitting in the car and this little old lady comes up to me and goes are these all yours you know like they look they look at your family mm-hmm. and the behavior like they're it's not like the kids are running wild and crazy like it's clear that they biologically could not have all been mine at the same time but like she doesn't, they, it's just hard to compute because they're just kids. Like, right. They're just, they're not 
like feral children from the forest that are running around right <laughs> barking at people in Kroger like you don't right. I mean you know you may have one occasionally that yeah. might be that might but, bark but I mean and realistically are you talking though, about her husband <laughs> I am um I mean but realistically you know that's 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 something that people would say. Like, I can't, I wouldn't be able to deal with those behaviors. Um, and they, and they, they will come with behaviors. But what we know, you know, that's another thing that, you know, part of the equipping that the Restore Network does is we mm-hmm. equip foster parents with the training that they need to parent kids that have been through trauma. Mm-hmm. Because most of these behaviors are just communication. Mm-hmm. These behaviors are just survival skills that they have ha- they have been forced to develop on their own to to navigate that difficult situation that they've been growing up in. And 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 that's reversible. That that's able to be healed, that's able to be corrected. Um, if if they're open to parenting a different way. Parenting a different Which way. Which we I mean we have learned things through Restore, and we didn't parent prior to foster care, but we parented prior to Restore. Um, and so we've definitely seen the effect of making some of those changes and, and doing some of that trauma-informed parenting. But I'm always amazed at how many people I talk to who had parented for a long time before t- any trauma training and any of the effects of the Restore Network on their family. And they've talked about, and, and you've even said this, Riley, too, like how doing these things with your bio kids has been good for them too like it's 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 just a good way to raise functioning human beings <laughs> you know like giving them these communication tools and and helping them heal from their traumas ultimately is just teaching them how to handle big feelings and you know navigate fear and and overcome things and use their words and like it's all stuff that all kids need and it's just something that our kids from hard places that are in foster care maybe didn't have any of that to begin with and so they're kind of catching up so. right well and it affirms god's good design yeah all of this study and and people outside of <coughs> the faith are studying <coughs> trauma right i'm sure you hear about it in the school district oh yeah it's, it's huge pre- it's yeah. it's kind we've of we've had trendy. in services on it yeah. and it's trendy right now right yeah. aces so adverse mm-hmm. childhood experiences and yeah. trauma and 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 i and i don't mean to mock that i'm just saying no, it yeah. is it is it is a common conversation it is trendy and it's not just for kids in foster care. Like, right. I mean, we've got a lot of kids with ACEs <laughs> sitting in our classrooms. There's a lot of study happening and, about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me, and, and I'm going to try to do a sermon series at some point about, about this, is like all of that just affirms God's good design. Because when when the family exists as God meant mm-hmm. for it to, yeah, the kids are getting these tools they need to function. Yeah. And when those things are taken, uh, whether that's from – their parents are in addiction or one parent bailed or one parent died or the parents just didn't have the tools, whatever, yeah. it affects these kids. And so a lot of times these behaviors, as Riley said, are, are, are just communication. They're expressing a need. They don't know how to tell you that they just, they don't, it's like expecting a kid to go build a home. They don't have any tools. Yeah. They don't have a foundation. Yeah. You know, our kids were given a foundation and then they were slowly given, you know, our biological kids, like, in theory, the way they're, you know, they're given foundation, they didn't have to build. Mm-hmm. And then they're slowly taught to use tools and then they get to upgrade to those, you know, more advanced tools. And, and so we look at these kids that didn't have a foundation, were yeah. never given a tool, were never learned to use a tool. And we expect them to, they come into our home at seven or eight and we expect them to, okay, they're in our home now. Yeah. Act Show like me our some kids. respect. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, well, they've never been shown respect. What the heck yeah. is respect? They've never been taught <laughs> that, that you know? And, yeah. And... And what's beautiful is that the social sciences, the, the you know those in that in the world outside of the faith will will say, 
there, this can be changed. These kids mm-hmm. can be healed, and it needs to happen through relationship. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, that'll preach, right? Like that's that's how God meant for it to happen. And so we actually have an opportunity to change some of these cycles. We could fuss about the bustedness of our communities and our society and our culture. But that's not going to get anything done. Or we can get in and, and, yeah. and start breaking these cycles and changing the, you know, getting involved in, in recon, you know, like um, redemptive relationships with both the kiddos. And then the beautiful part is when many times that, yeah. with the bio parents too. Many yeah. times, not every time, but many times. You have, I mean, with we've had three placements, I guess. Right, and with two out of three, we've been able to minister yeah. pretty significantly to the to the parents. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we got we got we're doing respite right now. We got a little little dude in the room, so you can count him as as four. But yeah, so there is there's just there is a lot of opportunity for gospel work there. Um, and I'd even throw in um, the agency workers. I was just thinking yeah. that too. I mean, we've uh, been really fortunate as far as like a lot of our workers. Um, have been really easy to work with, you know, but it, they're always, always, like, never not amazed when we're open to meeting mm. with the birth parents because uh, they oftentimes are not getting that from the foster families, and so that's definitely an opportunity for ministry. Yeah, and I've had, I mean, I've had caseworkers call me. I mean, I talk, I, I do have relationships with our agency workers as the restored director, um, that is part of what I do is to just mm-hmm. build some close relationships with them to get to know them and help support them. But then also personally, my personal caseworkers for the kids in my home, I've been able to develop some friendships with them in a way. Like sometimes I've had, you know, one caseworker call and we may be on the phone for two hours and it has nothing to do with the child in my home. Mm-hmm. It is just, she, they just need support. Like, think about the work they're doing day mm-hmm. in and day out and they need brutal. to hear yeah. brutal it's, so, like, it's like being it's how many correction <laughs> officers you know how get jaded to just life right 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 you know because they're glorified babysitters and it's not that they're babysitting kids they're babysitting grown men and women I almost said a wordy dirt i mean and you know but i think it, it, because it it has an effect and yeah. that's that's that whole pivot point of put yourself in someone else's shoe and walk a mile in it and you'll see that it's not the whole world's not stacked against you. It's it's everybody. They got a job to do. Yep. Policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 they've seen a whole lot of parents who weren't trying. Yeah, and, and so they've become jaded to almost perpetuate the the mm-hmm. stereotype of oh yeah, these people aren't going to they're not going to do anything or they're not going to try or, or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so yeah, we and I love it, and that's, I think it's good to, to, to tell stories. But let, let's uh, let's think through some of the other things we've learned uh, that you didn't know about foster care. Um, some people would literally like one of the reasons for not considering is I can't afford it, <laughs> which is kind of funny because what do we know? Yeah, the state actually pays you, yeah. right? Yeah, that's not, you're not you're not gonna you're not you're gonna, not gonna get rich off of yeah, it. You're no. not gonna get rich off of it, but no. you can't quit your job. No, right. <laughs> No, they. I mean, they even do financial background checks on you when you're getting licensed, just to make sure that you're not getting in this trying to support your family off of the little stipends that come in. But yes, there are stipends that come in. Um, the kids are 
not only eligible for WIC, but I mean, it was just, it was almost presented to me as like, if they are under three, like they need to go to WIC. Yeah. We they'll need, call we, you if you don't. They'll we've, call you yeah. if you don't. We've had that. They're like, they, yeah. and, so, we yeah. took it up for formula because formula is expensive. Yeah, formula is expensive. And right. so I'm all about, you know, being grateful for that. And once um, they get out of that, it's almost not worth the trouble. But they just it, called us last week. They're like, yes. hey, you got benefits. You need to come. You they need, need to, to come get a check, you know, checkup or whatever. Because they want as many pairs of eyes on these kiddos as they can to know that they're being well cared for. I get it. You know, like, that's just part of the structure the state's trying to do their job. So, like, there's WIC. There's um, – they're on Medicaid. And um, and so they're going to have their insurance covered. Like, they're, you're, you're out of pocket, ex- pocket expense to function and, and properly care for them. Like, anything, anything that you're going to really feel like – you felt in your budget is going to be because you chose to yeah, like, right. I mean, above and beyond, yeah. above and beyond, like uh, above and beyond necessity necessities. Cause yes. they pay for daycare too, right? Yes. Um, and actually I was surprised when our, when we adopted stormy, she wasn't quite three yet. And, um, they even continue to pay for daycare until she turned three a few months later. Like, yeah. so it's, it's, any foster placement, if the parents are both working outside the home, and there are, like, w- there's ways to fill out paperwork. Riley probably knows more about that than I do from walking with other foster families to help them with that. But there, if you work in your home, like, there there are even ways to get that taken care of. But we both, I'm a teacher, he's a banker, so daycare is covered. And they, they've just become part of our our village. I was talking about that on Facebook the other day. Like, thank you for our village, <laughs> Little Treasures, because what would we have done without them all these years? We couldn't have taken these 13 kiddos because – they, they have to go somewhere to go, you know, they're, they're not old. The ones that we've taken haven't been old enough for school yet because we only take ones that are younger than Stormy. And so, um, yeah, that's just, that's just an excuse. Yeah. I the mean, financial in, in my mind, an and maybe issue. it's not, but <clears throat> I think that's just maybe valid for some, but yeah. 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 I, I think that's a pivot point for me to say, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's an education on our point. Maybe you're correct. Maybe yeah. it is valid for someone. And it's not a selling point. I'm not saying like, hey, get into this. You no. Can, you get some money from, right. the, check, from the state. No, no, no. It, but, but like that's but not a reason it, not to do it. Yeah, and it's a lot of people don't know. And yeah. then if it does turn to adoption, the, the, the state actually pays for that as well. Like yes. It's a zero cost. I wrote a $15 check to get the new birth certificate or something for Stormy's adoption. And then they... Should we do that? They reimbursed... Oh. They reimbursed the, the check. And I was like, somebody in a state office somewhere took the time to sit and write a $15 check back to me. I was like, I could have handled that. Like, that's that's not an expense. <laughs> like, it was just... It was almost ludicrous how much to a, to a point, like, they yeah. everything was covered with the adoption. The, the legal fees for the attorney, like... Everything was covered for the adoption. And then after adoption, what people, what some people don't know is that that stipend will continue. You continue to receive that mm-hmm. stipend from the state until they turn 18 or until they graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what? The, or get married or join Hawaii. the military. There's like lots of, yeah. <laughs> there's lots those, of caveats on it. Yeah. So those resources yeah. are there. And, yes. And that, and that is just something that I didn't know. And it is helpful for many. Um, well, and the store network too has been so helpful with that too like when you get a new placement and and the resources that are available there with like there there are people ready and willing to help and we need more of them obviously but like the state system that's in place does provide for their needs and then there are other things too like so the financial aspect is not a reason not to do it beds clothes and yeah other needs that, that you know remodeling homes i mean that's that's places that the church and restore has been able to step into to help you know, and just our community group has been a resource to that. Like, if you have a village around you, um, don't sell them short. You know, like yeah. know that you're. If this is something that you're supposed to do, your friends and family 
will get on board. Like I was talking my earlier mother about is yeah, her, watching his our mom's kids with right our kids now. right now. Yeah. My yeah. mom Mine too. had kept him kept ours yesterday for me to go get the girls' haircut. Like you know, your family nine times out of ten, you're you're gonna be amazed at how your family and your friends will step in and our community group, like I'll remember never forget like the little guy we've got now that's two. He was a baby when he moved in, six days old, and we needed to move one kiddo in with his brother so that the baby could have his own room. Like, it all needed to happen really fast. And I was just sitting here holding a newborn and going, what in the world do I need it? You know, how can I get all these rooms? And literally, like, three or four women from my community group showed up and had the house taken apart and put back together in the rooms where they needed to be in a few hours. Like, people will step in when you let them help you. And so... And that's part of how... That that's the support teams that, yeah. that can exist. Not everybody can foster. Everybody should consider it and play yeah. through it, but not everybody can. But they can do stuff like that. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I use the illustration in a sermon once of like special forces need support teams, right? They need the people back at headquarters. They need the people, you know, communicating, running air support, you know, coming in, transporting, all of those things. And yeah. you know, if you look at you know those in, in foster care is, is that like they need they need other people on the ground they need other people back at you know in the air and on the you know uh, and so there's there's lots of ways yeah because we we couldn't do what we do without my mom and stepdad I mean they're they're just huge um, mm-hmm. in just helping us have still have a healthy marriage and getting a break and they love our kids they love our foster kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's interesting, you know, when we went from four to five, we sort of outgrew their home and in some ways their physical energy capacity. And we knew that going in, taking that fifth kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a family in our church that, um, I don't even know how we got connected, but somehow we just kind of asked them to watch, we call him Moose and, uh, mm-hmm. they've just become his kind of, they're, they're his. just kind of his family, right? Yeah. They're mm-hmm. like his, they're his sitters. Like they, they just, yeah. Anytime we need a sitter for just him, for, you know, like we went camping, just Jordan and I, back in October or something, and we didn't want to send all five to his mom's, Mm because that was a lot then, and he was still little, and so this family stepped up, and just, they bonded with him, and so now they Mm -hmm. offer all the time, they're like, that's their little guy, kind of. Yeah, so they're like surrogate, (laughs) aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever, you know, they got teenage daughters that love them, and and, and that's huge for us, because we couldn't have... We knew taking that fifth kid, mom's house just can't handle it. And, and yeah. in many ways, mom, you know, that's a, that's a little much for her by herself. Which, by so. the way, she's selling now. So if anybody would like to <laughs> in, in rudiment. rudiment, two bedroom, one bath. Is she moving closer to y'all? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep, you bet. So, in your basement. <laughs> so, so those are significant ways, right, to step in. Because yes. yeah. not, not, first of all, not every foster family has... The parents that we do, right. we just both yes, celebrated both our parents. Celebrated our parents, us. but so many not every fo- yeah, yeah, not every foster family has that. Right. And then you got some situations where you just need more than that, and so that's where other people can be a huge help to step in and say, "Hey, we will, we'll sort of adopt you as a family and love on yeah. either a particular kid or all your kids." Or which is actually a ministry that the Restaurant Network is going to be launching this fall is. Um, is a program like that where vol- we would train and equip volunteers and we would thoroughly vet them uh, with their availability, their background checking, um, you know, what their family what is into, their likes, dislikes, whatever, and then we would match them with a foster family mm-hmm. and particularly, you know, like a child in their home. And they would just commit to that child for at least six months mm-hmm. of regular respite, weekly 
respite and then also love on the family as a whole mm-hmm. doing d- meals together uh bringing dinner over doing birthday parties holidays together that sort of thing and giving that family a break from that foster kiddo so maybe they can hang out with their bio kids or, right yeah well and even if <coughs> that's a great point because you, you may be listening to this and thinking okay i want to help but I'm not taking all four of the cook's kids or all five of the, the bird's, <laughs> bird's kids. And that, it Which gets, is fair. Yeah, it's yeah, fair, yeah. right. It's exactly right. It's a lot to ask of somebody. Like when, and, we, when we do leave town, I make a point of splitting them all up to, yeah. to different it families. Yeah. But it could just We're be, tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could be something as simple as bringing a meal. And, and I remember the first time that happened for a store from us. And it wasn't because we never had that as a foster parent before. And, and I mean, I, I got emotional over it because I was like, I don't have to figure out how to feed this crew tonight. I got to figure out how to just embrace this new kid. Mm-hmm. Because as you all know, I mean, the hardest night to night one. I mean, yeah. every place I've ever had, night one. Um, <clears throat> and that that's that's where you can really step in. They usually come at night. Yeah, yeah. right. That's exactly right. I, I, a quick story. That's like our our oldest boy. We were here. Oh yeah. yeah, we we'd come here for support for, group. Ro, for, yeah. yeah, support group. Yeah. And yeah, they called this. and I was supposed to be in the child's wing with one of our elders and I was like, I gotta go. And he's like, What are you talking about? I'm like, I gotta go get a kid. He's like, No, you're joking. I'm like, he's like, That's not really how this works. I'm like, that's exactly how this works. <laughs> and, I'll be the, back in a few minutes <laughs> with a kid. Yeah. And, uh, he so, drove to the Murfreesboro and, Field and it office. Was like, and came back. It was right yeah. at dusk. And they were waiting for me, and they didn't ID me or anything. I like walk <laughs> up, and they're like handing me this. Said, "Here's your kid," and I left. and didn't even get a name, and I'm driving back to Marion, and I'm like, I don't even have know this kid's name. It's in the back of my car. It's like it felt like a drug deal, and I was like, "This is so weird." I knew his name. I'd been on the phone with the caseworker. Yeah, she knew story. you were coming. There's and, more to that story. I knew what was going on. But let me let me bring this back to the point. Is that you know if you're listening to this and saying okay I resonate with some of the stuff you guys are saying but I'm not ready to to jump in I'm not ready to have a family and and start over or whatever and I'm, I'm like there's plenty of ways to do it and even if it's just a little bit it's a little piece of the puzzle it could reap huge mm. I mean even taking the time to stop a foster family and ask them how they're doing yeah and you know let's let the truth be told as Matthew West would say, and and just get real with them for 30 minutes um, can have a massive, massive impact in just building relationships and yeah. being the church. I want to come back to that, but that like, uh, let's talk about some good, good questions that other people can ask because they ask questions and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just, they just don't know, you know, anyway, so we'll come back to that. But I want to highlight that point too, because part of the problem with the, quote system is that foster parents quit mm, yeah. because it's hard yeah. right and a lot of times they don't have the resources and they're not set up well they're not they're not set up well and so they quit and so yes make stepping into those that are doing it and helping lighten their load and love on them can help prevent what we call disruptions which is where you've taken a kid mm-hmm. and then you end up having to ask the agency to find another placement because you can't handle that kid. The little girl we're about to adopt sometime this year, like her goal has changed and things are headed that direction. Um, <coughs> we we were her sixth placement the first time she came to us. And she was And she was what, three? three and a half. Yeah. Uh, about to turn four. And then. So you think about that. Six different homes. Yeah. 
And in at that time, she'd only life. she'd only been in care for less than a year at that point. So six six hundred homes in less than a year, and several were family placements that just weren't a right fit. There were things that weren't working out there. But but um, then she moved to be with a sibling, who was older than we take because of Stormy, because we don't take older than our oldest, and that's a whole another conversation. But right. there's wisdom there that we've really thought through. But so she moved to be with him because the courts wanted her to try to be with him, and we got that. She was there two weeks, and that foster family was new. It was a new placement. It was hard. They didn't have any support. They didn't have Restore. They didn't have a church family. Like, literally packed the kids up and dropped them off the agency and said, see ya. I'm, I'm done. Like, and so yeah. she's back in her home at that point. Like, yeah. because that's, she's a, that's, and that, and that's, that's unfortunately not uncommon. Without support, Like, yeah. that's not a rare story, yeah. unfortunately. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, so that can make a huge difference. So Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about that. How can the broader community and the church – uh, care for foster families. And part of that is you said stopping them, asking them. So let's, let's give them some good questions because we all, we get, we get questions and sometimes it's, it's yeah. sometimes in it's our world. We really yeah. We're like, oh, well, about. yeah, yeah. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> let's you know? say some of those. Let's say some of those questions that we've been are asked. You, are you trying to adopt of. them? Or are you hoping to keep them? I get yeah, that Are you going to keep them? Yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, yeah, yeah. First of all, are you going to try to keep them? You're going to try to keep them. There's no trying. There's, it's not up to me. No. <laughs> yeah. We don't get to make that decision. They don't no. know. They just don't know what to ask. Exactly. And that's okay. Exactly. That's what a lot of these questions are. I had uh, I had one um, one of our other county directors because uh, we were we were doing this one day and uh, she said that somebody some of the questions that she has gotten before is you know so so when are you going to get another one <laughs> and. Uh, and are you gonna get? Are you gonna keep them? And you know that kind of thing. And she's like, they're not puppies. Like, we're just not like, <laughs> yeah. Just, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah. I mean, it does come from just just the. When are you gonna get rid of your corona? Stop. <laughs> Coughing all that. Corona. I'm teasing. Sorry. Um. I threw you off. You did throw me off. They're not puppies. They're, they're not, not puppies. puppies. They're not. They're, they're, they're kids. And they don't understand. They don't, they just don't understand how the system works. They don't understand that, that the goal is reunification. And that's our hope. That's what yeah. we want, you know? Is this what would be best for the kids? It would be best for the kids. And so they don't see that. They, I think, I think a myth that a lot of people have kind of latched onto within the foster care world is this, this idea of foster to adopt. Yeah. Which is not a thing. Not a thing at all. And yeah. it's just not a thing. And so that's like, you know, um, that's not like a lane you pick, right? Yeah, you don't, you don't, you're not checking a box of like I want to foster, I want to adopt, I want to foster to adopt. Okay, now you do like foster, and if it it leads to adoption, then they'll ask you. You know, like yeah. okay, you'll so. sign a permanency commitment at some point along the way that if this right. child's family is not able to be reunified with them, right? Are you willing to adopt? Exactly. But that's still like. What people I don't think either understand is like the time frame that goes oh, yeah. from that document yes. to the legal screening process to the termination process to the adoption and process. like Stormy was placed with us and was it was like a year and a half. It was eighteen months to the day from we met her. Yeah, eighteen months to the day from when we met her was her, and that was crazy Super fast. Yeah. But she had older siblings who had already been adopted. <laughs> Like, there were a lot of things at play in their family's case that caused it to go even that fast. And that was, I mean, that was a long time. Right. But it, right. it, it was record fast compared to what we're, we're going through with some other cases yeah. and what we've seen people go through. I mean, there, right. are, there are families yeah, that we, have kids from birth and the child's like nine or ten before they're adopted. Like, you right. just, you don't know when you're going into this. When and our you little guy can't, was two. Yeah. And we knew it like. 
three or four months. Yeah. Dad had surrendered rights, and mom was in and out of jail, not going like to do nothing. it. And it still took toll. Yeah, like he was two uh, two years over and two four months. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason always says, and uh, like I think there's a lot of wisdom in this. It shouldn't be easy to lose your kids. Like sure. we don't want to live in a world where the government can just walk in and make this happen overnight. Right. Like right. that should not be easy. It shouldn't. I don't think take two or three years. I'm waking up the baby over there. Sorry, I'm talking too loud. It shouldn't take two or three years. I, there are things about this the system that inherently make things take longer than maybe they should when it becomes evident that the birth family is not going to complete a service plan, not going to do what's needed to make it a safe home for their child to return to. Yes, it, it takes longer than it probably should, but yeah. but it shouldn't be too nice. I mean, it's like there's there's got to be a process there to know that the right thing is being done and that right. the, the you know that my dad, the lawyer, always says you know that you need all the eyes dotted and the t's crossed because you don't want anything to be able to come back later and say that this wasn't done properly exactly. and, and the child have a change later. You know exactly. And, exactly. So yeah, so I think I derailed you there. You were headed somewhere no, else. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say you know like a like another another question would be yeah have you uh, have you adopted him yet? Have you gotten to adopt him yet? You know, like that's mm-hmm. that's a question. Like we, I mean, we had Logan about a year or so, which it goes back to the timeline that people don't understand, and they expected. Yeah. You know, he wasn't doing visits with his mom. He wasn't doing anything. He, I mean, nothing. Yeah, like she abandoned him at birth, basically. And so, after uh, after you know, people in our community knowing that and seeing us with it after a year later, have you been able to adopt him yet? Have you adopted him yet? Well, no, you know, like, <laughs> and you don't have time to unpack that for exactly. them in a five minute conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they mean well, and I think they're just. I think a lot of times people don't know what to ask, right? And I think ultimately, how can like, I help? how can I help is a good. good one, or just how are you? How are you? Or just like talk to you like they would somebody who has any other kid that was born to them, like just parent to parent, like maybe not try to enter into understanding things that. Or you could ask what's their story. Yeah. You know, with a kiddo. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a better yeah. question. That's than, a way to phrase it yeah, that yeah. doesn't put the foster parent on the spot of feeling like they've overshared the child's story. Because that's something right. I, I, you know, well, you as a fellow foster parent and my Restore Network director might sit and have a private conversation about the ins and outs of a case. But I'm not going to sit and have that, you know, on the you know, corner or at the grocery store with somebody, Down you know, like on the corner. because there's confidentiality at play there. And there's just or like, how, could, how about how could we pray for that kiddo? Yes. Like that's yeah. a good question. Yeah. That's a really good one. That, that sort of leaves it as you could, you can share what you want to yeah. then. Yeah. It just, it, it frames it differently to not make it like, sound like you're digging awkward. for gossip. Versus yeah. Right. Yeah. Just that, Cause another question I've heard help? before is, you know, what their parents do. Yeah. <laughs> A, sometimes I don't really know, and B, <laughs> not your business. Right. <laughs> like, and they mean well. I don't. I don't mean that to sound harsh. Right. But right. I think people are just maybe not aware of how, what it comes across as. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about. Um, you've mentioned not taking kids old and stormy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned that, but anyway, so that that's something that people may not know too. You, you, you said sort something of, about keeping birth order. Yeah, yeah, and, and you sort of said you you thought of it like an orphanage with a with a, always with a vacancy, <laughs> and so that's something we didn't know is that you can you can you can, a you can just say no to kids. Right. Yes, and which B, is hard, but you, oh, you have to hard. be. You have to get to that point. Yeah, you have to yeah. pick the more. Uh, Cold-hearted parent as the one who receives the phone calls. Yeah, yeah. What does that say about me? Yeah. Know, right? I'm the one that gets phone calls. It's, it's Jordan in your house, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but also, like, you can give a window, right? So yeah. we were licensed initially for zero to two. Uh, I don't know what it is now. Zero. Our license says birth to 18. Like, in some of the private agencies, and ours is a private agency, 
they go ahead and have you licensed sure. for the whole range, but then because they're smaller they can change than the call DCFS, list as, they yeah. can fix their call list yeah. to not. And I, I don't get calls. He did. We did one time get a call for like a 16 year old kid, but normally, yeah, it was our, a 16 year old nonverbal. Wow. And yeah. I was like, we had my mind three in just, diapers at that point. It was like, whoosh. Yeah. No, that would yeah. like push your heart us breaks. But yeah, you, you have to know your limits. <laughs> yes. And, and and that's kind of the point of what I'm getting at is you can have limits. Like, yes. that's okay. You have to have you limits. You have to have limits yeah. to function, or you can't properly care for the kiddos that you have. Exactly. Because, yeah. as we both know, I mean, <coughs> life happens and you're going to get curveballs. I mean, that's what happened to us last year. I mean, we, for all intents and purposes, we were done and I'm at work. And I mean, I, she's calling saying, "Hey, there's another kid coming," and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, it's a sibling of one of your and, and yeah. that's what happens. It's a sibling, and so you have to be able to work through that. You have to be able to to set limits, um, and you you got to know your limits. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that happens. Parents who have kids in foster care will have more kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens, and and I don't know how common it is, but some people think that like. The government does something about that, and I'm like, no. That would make yeah. us China. That's a fine yeah. line between yes, like yeah, you want to. Well, the government of, does. They just they just take that kid. Right. But yeah. No. Somebody. Some people <laughs> to are like, biologically alter. Right. Right. Like, don't they make them get on birth? I'm like, no, no they that's can't a, that's do a that. fine line between us and Hitler. We don't want to go there. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I get well, that question a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's yeah. You can understand the yeah, <laughs> like the thought process, but yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, and that's another way that restore helps. Um, our foster families is we we want to set them up for success, and this is something the agency doesn't really always have time to do, nor is it really in their, their job description. Job description, you know, like they they are working to put the children in beds, mm-hmm. and that is their job, and they are doing that to the best of their abilities. They are, um, however, if you know what we do as restorers, we want to help equip foster parents and set them up for success mm-hmm. in this because we don't want them saying yes to children that their family's not a good fit for. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, going to burn them out within a couple of months. And then they're going to have to disrupt that child. And And you, you guys have seen, I remember you sharing in a meeting once, like the majority of disruptions that the restore staff has observed have been because there was a placement that just wasn't a good fit to begin with. And most of those have been because the child was older Right. Else in the home, right. They broke like, birth order. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Typically. Sometimes that does work. There are these rare occasions where it does work fine mm-hmm. for some families. And so it says it can work. But in the majority of cases, it's it's just not setting your family up for success. And so we really help walk with our foster parents and kind of coach them and talk with them about what, um, what age range um, and how many uh, mm-hmm. kids would be, you know, good for their family mm-hmm. a good fit yeah when you break that birth order like even though story wasn't <coughs> born to us if we were to bring in you know she's she's eight and a half if we were to bring in a 10 year old girl who's suddenly the oldest and you know lack of a better description like bigger faster stronger that at all these things and yeah like that would that would really five-year-old in our family i'm just saying <laughs> we do have a five-year-old that tries to keep up with her but um that's just not fair to her identity as yeah. the oldest in the family, and so it messes up all kinds of dynamics you don't yes. think about. But yeah, yeah. So it so that's just something good to know. Is like it is okay to know your limits, and because it's yeah. hard. We've gotten calls about 
17 year olds, 16 year olds, yeah. 18 year olds. And at times we've considered it and we've had to go with better judgment of going. Yeah. And I will have to say like as hard as their job has to be to be on the other end of that, the, the agency workers that are on the other end of that call, just trying to find a bed. I have yet to be in any way getting off the phone and feeling like I'd been disrespected or that they had questioned my decision in right. any way. Like, that has to they be, just had to make the call. They just had to make the call, yeah. and sometimes they'll leave with that. I've had, I've had, I've had, you yeah. know, parents or you know, agency workers call me just to be like, I, I kind of know what you're gonna say because <laughs> yeah. they know me, yeah. and they're just like, I just have to make the call. Do you know anybody? Like, yeah. yeah. But then they also are calling me. They're calling me personally as a restore director too. But then yeah. they're also calling to see if I have any foster families that would be yeah. have an opening. They they get it. They they just have to do their job. <clears throat> so so we're talking about them making those calls. I think something else that that. We, I kind of thought before getting into this, and I think a lot of people still think, it's like there's a lot of people who want kids. There's a lot of people who are like you all, who are struggling with infertility, who want to adopt. Like, they got this, right? Like, so, you know, let them handle it. Basically, I'm not needed. There's a lot of people who want babies and want kids. Surely they'll take them. And that was the myth that was just busted for me really quick when I realized, oh, oh no, there's a, there's a crisis. So... Mm-hmm. One of the things that Restore talks through in its training is, and we use this church too, is like from 2014 to 2017, those four years, the number of kids entering foster care in Illinois stayed around 4,000, 4,500. In 2018, that made a significant jump up to like 5,500 and has continued to rise um, at a staggering rate until last year it was at 7,500. That is a huge percentage increase. And that's new kids coming into care. Right. That's not that's not just saying, oh, that, that number of kids in care has risen to that number. No. Mm-hmm. That's a whole new batch of kids coming in. No. in Plus that all the ones that are still there. Yeah. Is that number for 2020? Illinois. Yeah. yeah. 75 numbers. Yeah, because I, I was just wondering what kind of effect the pandemic would have on that. So. Yeah. I going to where. It was an interesting dynamic. Taking out on my kids. In some ways, they're they're taken out of the places that often identify the issues, like school and stuff. But mm-hmm. then all, in other ways, they're they're locked into the place where there is the issue, you know. Well, and so. our caseworker just mentioned recently, like, there seems to have been, a, like, a surge for them of new placements recently. Like, she's had to do a lot of new placements recently. And I've wondered, like, how much during this year has been because the kids have gone back to school, especially in this last quarter of school, we had a ton as a teacher that I knew came in yeah. at this just this last quarter that had been you know at home for over a year and showed up just for the last nine weeks of school and so so if they so, were in an environment that, where the teacher identified stuff and hotlined things that a lot of new cases probably have opened recently. So the challenge used to be placing older kiddos and still is. Yeah. So we talked about fostering to adopt earlier. You could sign up to adopt. There are mm-hmm. kids out there waiting to be adopted, yes. but they are generally older and have needs yes special needs of some sort their parental rights have already been terminated for them and they're sitting in either a foster home that's not equipped to adopt them or they're sitting in a group home or so those do exist yeah yeah but um anyway i forgot where i was going um but now it's getting now it's getting to babies that are yes that's right Yeah. yeah yeah so now it's hard to even get a baby yeah to find a home for a baby i mean that's in some ways, how we end up with our fifth kiddo. I mean, the Lord was at work in that too. Um, but yeah, he was he was a newborn. He's five days old, and yeah. they couldn't find a home for him. 
Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. Like, some of it's because with licensing, like, you have to get a waiver to have so many kids under age two. So maybe some of the families who are willing to take newborns are already full yeah. of a newborn and a sibling or a one-year-old and a sibling or whatever, and they don't have room for an, a newborn without getting a waiver, which takes time and... I think one of the I think one of the biggest reasons for this particular case, and often when I'm trying to help an investigator place a newborn, um, it is typically just the 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 short amount of time that the family has, especially if it's a dual income family, mm-hmm. yeah, to get daycare in place. Yes, and so that's, we've dealt with that. Yeah, so that's you know that's another way I could try to equip foster families is as they're in the licensing process go ahead and identify a daycare yeah find one that's on board or maybe not even daycare but like a person mm-hmm. who would be willing to take that baby and care for that baby until you were able to get daycare set up yeah. because that was that was the issue that was well, and they can't even go to daycare till they're a certain number of weeks old yeah so like we right. had to get coverage like with uh, one of our placements jason and my mom and i all took turns taking you know days off to uh, take care of him until he could even be old enough to go to daycare um, so yeah. have those resources so, replaced. So no, the, the answer to that is <laughs> no, there's not people who want no. that, frankly, that's just not true. And uh, I think not, some enough. People, not, not enough, not enough. And I think some people too have this fear of what am I going to be signing up for with a child that's been drug exposed? Cause yeah. typically if you're getting a newborn, it's because the hospital has made a hotline and I can't even imagine what percentage of that must be due to drugs in the, the mom system or the baby's screens or whatever that come back and that you don't, they don't know what kind of, you know, screaming and, and night, night issues and whatever withdrawals they're going to deal with. And, and some of them are horrific, but some of them like are no different than any other newborn. Like you don't know what you're getting into. Most of the time they'll, they'll keep them in the hospital until they're yeah doing until they're a lot doing better fine. Yeah. to mm-hmm. send home. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's just not, um, there, there is a need for more. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, and, here's and, the... and, and I think that, you know, quickly that, you know, there's, there's more than one way. I mean, we at our church are trying to push people to be involved in recovery ministry and mentoring and things like that, that is holistic around this whole issue of broken families. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about foster care right now. And there is a need for more of those people, uh, Right. Yes, there's other ways to address the system and the brokenness and the reason that kids are coming into care. But the fact is, there's kids are coming into care, and it's no fault of their own. And they gotta have a place to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and here our hope is what the restore network is working to do as a whole. And I think really, I think this is not even just for store network, but like agencies. Like if if we could get to a point where we had a significant amount of foster homes, if we have more foster homes than we did then we had kids coming into care, mm. then we could we could work so much better. We could be so much more efficient in placing those children with the appropriate mm-hmm. families so that everybody is set up for success. And it's not about just finding the nearest empty bed for a child that's yeah. ultimately going to lead to a disruption because, you know, it's not a good fit. But we could be more intentional about placing children in the right home. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's like saying, what if every church member gave? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there I mean, be no hunger. Okay. It's legit. I, it, it, okay. So these are daunting problems and this is messy ministry and it's scary, but kind of how we plan on ending this is talking about, is this the church's responsibility? 
and and it scares a lot of people and a lot of people write it off as social justice a lot of people write it off as well I you know I already pay my taxes and that's the a government you know I don't know there's there's a lot of different opinions um, however there, there's some really staggering stats even with these kind of numbers and you, or if you just extend it out to the orphans throughout the world those are huge numbers mm-hmm. but then if you roll that down to the number of churches that are in America mm-hmm. and and you realize that even if just one church, like if if one family from each church stepped in, and every or, four, right? Isn't or there every a, third, or every one of one family, every four churches, or something. Yeah, one family in every four churches. in every four churches in America adopted one of the waiting children. Right. Yeah. Not seven kids. You don't have to take seven. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about one family from every four church. Like that's a stack. Like so. Yeah. Yes, this is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's daunting. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's hard. However, if the church actually could handle this problem, if the church, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's it's just it is a gospel issue. Um, yeah. It is not the gospel, and that's where a lot of people are rightly pushing back. There's a lot of social justice movements. There's mm-hmm. a lot of churches abandoning the gospel for the pursuit of social justice. But it's such a picture of the gospel, oh, too, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so we don't want to abandon the gospel and start saying this is what we're called to do is just social work. No, but but man, we can't just preach the gospel and ignore the brokenness and the hurting I right around us. Just... We're called to be the salt and the light. We're called to be the hands and feet. Yeah. We're called to be. I was going to say it's in our Jesus wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. When it's you, not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, this is this is what we do every week by providing childcare for our members. I mean, even if it's on a temporary basis, it's taking care of the the, the relationships, the people that we're in. And so I think there there's a piece of that that says, hey, we're not talking about whatever. We're talking about people. We're talking about kids. We're talking about relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's right in in line with what we do. Yeah. And yeah, and it's just such an opportunity to be a kingdom. I mean, out of our three placements, one we've adopted, one it is still in process, uh, and one went back home. And as much as we love the little dude, like I could talk all day about the the work the Lord did in the, in the little like mm-hmm. in my life and in our life with the little guy that we adopted, and he's my boy, and and it's. There's a lot there for me to share. But the kiddo that went home and the relationships that mm-hmm. we still have with that bio mom mm-hmm. and bio grandma, they come to our church. Yeah. yeah. And that's super, it super was, rewarding. And I, yeah, that's what I tell people. I'm like, I would take a reunification like that mm-hmm. over an adoption any day. Because because their story doesn't stop mm-hmm. when you adopt them. Right. Their story, their history is still there and and for their for their good, they need to know that. Mm-hmm. And so we we show him pictures of his birth mom mm-hmm. and we show him pictures of his dad and of, you know, and of his brother that's out there and you know, he's two, so he's not really getting what it is. But we're planting some seeds there so yeah. that when we do share with him his story, you know, as hard as it's going to be, yeah. you know, it's it's not going to be this surprise to him, yeah. you know. And so I think and that's that's hard for me to swallow a lot of days is is knowing that that day is coming when 
it's going to click for him mm-hmm. when he's going to realize, you know, he was basically abandoned mm-hmm. by his parents. And, and that's hard, you know, it's going to be hard for, I mean, I feel like that's going to be hard for him to, even though he's always had us and he's never known anything different, it's still going to be a hard story that we're going to have to share with him. And, and but being able to reunify a family, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, you, you see the gospel in both stories yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yep. the gospel so abundantly clear in both stories, but, um, but the reunification, you know, it was, it was rejoicing mm-hmm. yeah. is what it was. Hugs in the parking lot at the courtyard yeah. or the courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then them coming over to our house that night and holding our new placement, which yes. is the little man that we ended up adopting. Like, yeah. yeah. So foster mama. When you sent me that bio, picture, that bio was mama awesome. of our foster kid that just got reunified that day. We took another kid the day before because we knew she was going home. They're there, and bio mom of that little girl is holding our new placement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a well, she deal. well she well she brought this little girl over to say goodbye to our kids because they were in school that day mm-hmm. when we had court. Yeah. yeah. And so she she wanted them to be able to see her. Yeah. 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 Um, there's nothing like picking up your kiddo and and telling him that they get to go back to live with mommy and daddy forever. Like the, his face, it's like Christmas. The one them, the one I'm thinking of. I mean, there's been over half of our kids because we've had the 12, 13 in the eight years. Over half of them have either returned to their birth parents or a family member in a couple of situations, and um, and definitely have been so rewarding to see that and to know that they're where they want to be. And it rips your heart out too. Yeah. Like let's yeah, be clear. It's, it's hard. hard. <laughs> but most things worth doing are. And when I was reading the notes where you had, where we were kind of planning out our conversation for tonight, um, is that really the church's responsibility? And I know you, there's so many different illustrations you've used over the, the last several years that we've been here to, to talk about that. But the verse that rings in my mind for that is, he who knows the good he ought to do mm. and doesn't do it sins. Like, is it our responsibility? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it, it's good to care for these kids. It's good to love their families when it's hard and, and it's messy and... Like, I will never forget <laughs> sitting in a dentist's office with one of our kids, and his birth mom was there with me and because we were taking him to the doctor together. Like, part of what she needed mm, to do so cool. to be a safe place for him was to learn how to be a parent. She was a teenager when he was born. Like, right. she didn't know. Yeah. And so walking through those kinds of things with her and having him call both of us mom in the waiting room, and people kept looking at us <laughs> like, what on earth is going on here? Because clearly she and I, like – we're very different ages. And <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. <laughs> it was like, it's messy. And, and and taking her to Walmart to get her groceries, like having these just surreal moments of like, so I'm going to go home tonight with her kid and like yeah. take care of him indefinitely. But here we are like literally doing life together yeah. and and being there for her. And like it's, it's Our, weird and it's messy and it's hard, but it's so worth it. And it's... It's so, and there's stories that God writes through this. It's yeah. just incredible. So our first placement, I, I just want to tell a story. It's so funny. So she got placed in an emergent, like in a, an emergency placement for just a few weeks. This woman agreed to take her, and this woman was a Mennonite, mm-hmm. single Mennonite woman, uh, agreed to take this little little girl for just a couple weeks. It turned into a longer need, so we ended up being the the place that was going. So in that transition, the first place you went was to. Uh, doctor's appointment and did, bi- yeah. did bio mom come too no oh so it was just you and the Mennonite woman 
there yeah. with the African-American little girl. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so we walk in, we walk in and I'm, uh, every time I tell this story, I'm like, there's gotta be a joke that starts like this, you know, like <laughs> a Mennonite and a preacher's wife. Pastor's wife. <laughs> walk into a bar. Yeah. Walk into a doctor's office. <laughs> Not a bar. <laughs> Let's be clear. Not a bar with a kid. There's a baby in a bar. <laughs> what if that's a movie, right? Yeah. So I was, I don't know how aware she was of it. I'm pretty sure. I mean, she may have been. I don't know. I was really aware of how odd we must well, have you, looked you walking in. You hadn't fostered before too, like right? Not you, yet. You she get a little. First. You get a little not jaded, but just like <clears throat> you become a little less aware yeah, eventually you're, you're of exactly. the weirdness of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we walk in and we're at the, we're at this doctor's appointment, and you know. We didn't say anything to the doctor for a while, <laughs> and you know we're he just we're just going along, and then finally about halfway through the appointment, he just goes, "So what is the situation here? <laughs> what is happening?" And so then you know we kind of chuckle and we're like, "Okay, this is this is what's going on." And he's like, "Oh, he's like, okay, that makes sense. Like that was so confusing. Like, yeah." <laughs> and that's turned into a beautiful relationship. Still with oh, yeah, another yeah, like yeah. so many layers she's to that. One of, yeah, she's one of my great friends still. Yeah. So there's a lot of beauty that the Lord brings out of of this brokenness. So I want to end with just a quote from another foster mama in the in the Restore Network um, family, and uh, and she says this: It can be really easy to think of loving a child in foster care as removing a child from the mess of their story snatching them from the pain and brokenness and placing them into something, quote, better. The thing is, that's not how my God loved me. My God set aside his, quote, better. He laid aside his crown, and he entered into the mess of this earth. Really loving means entering in. And that is... uh, that is that is the opportunity. Um, I think of foster care. It's not easy uh, by any means, but um, it's something that the God that, that God wants to use. I think mightily um, in in the midst of, of our broken world. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to this uh, pro life conversation and abortion. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot uh, the church can step in and make a huge huge impact in this way. So, hey guys, thanks for coming and, and sharing and. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll probably have uh, at least Barry White and his voice back on it. Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> you've had a little too much fun with the microphone, uh, but it, yeah. it's it's been good. So thank you guys. We're so gonna much get for one sharing. of these for the house, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. It's all right. It's all good. Uh, guys, thanks for for listening in. If you have more questions or want to know more about foster care, uh, you can contact uh, my wife at R Bird at therestorenetwork.org, right? And you can check out therestorenetwork.org for a lot more information. Thanks for checking us out. See you all next time.